I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to our Band of Brothers cast reunion. Uh, This is part two, and today uh, we teed you up at the end of yesterday's to start talking about filming. Let's just get started again. Philip Barantini, who played Skinny Sisk. Um, you've got big Hollywood sets. Were you treated like big Hollywood stars? We all had honey wagons, you know, with our names on. It was all very Hollywood. Um, but we weren't allowed to go in them at first. For the fir- I'd say for the, probably the first, maybe the first month. Um, because we all, had to, we all had to get changed in this, in this huge tent um, all together. Richard Spate, who played Skip Mark. Go ahead. We had trailers, but we basically were in that tent. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, like it was more like we were circus performers and we uh, had like a, a, a little nook. Yes, Jimmy Maddio, who was Frank Picante. Uh, yeah. The bottom line is, Rick, Rick Water can tell you, if you were caught in your trailer, we went and took shits in your trailer. We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> what is the rule? Which is What's why I don't rule? remember my trailer because I, I, I set friends seriously. I'm going to tell you. you uh, had- Scott Grimes, who played Don Malarkey. If you had a scene to do, it's like if you had speaking scene, you were allowed to go in your trailer. Other than that, right? Am I wrong? That was yeah, 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 yeah. Philip, even getting to set was done in character, wasn't it? They made us march from the base to the sets, which were like, you know, maybe a mile, um, all on this huge complex, which was an old um, British aerospace uh, plot where they used to build uh, parts for planes. Which was which was shut down. So they were they used the the, the air hangers as sets. Mm. Um, so we used to have to line up in formation, in character, and march the sets. And we did that every day for well for nine months really. Um, <clears throat> and I think partly that's that's the reason why it's it, it is so authentic the, the the show. You know because because of people like Dale Die who who were drilled drilled us <laughs> every day. Um, but yeah, being in character was 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 a it was just normal jimmy and everyone has said like oh, i'd never seen a set that size before but you had hadn't you you'd been on hook did it still surprise you the amount of the scale of band of brothers well yeah i mean it, it, was, it, it was big it was a lot going on uh i don't know how many acres it was but there was villages and towns and i mean everything you could imagine uh, hook was you know uh what was that ninety one? So ten years prior, Hook was Hook took over the entire lot as well, and you had ships, pirate ships, and Neverland, and and uh, I remember that that those sets were so big that like everybody was bringing their kids on. Every big star was showing up to that set. I think Prince showed up, Madonna showed up, Bruce Willis at the time. All these huge people showed up to kind of see the set. Uh, but you were in Hollywood, so they were able mm. to do that. But the sets were really really big then. Uh, yeah, but Band, Band of Brothers just seemed like it was 10 times bigger than Hook could ever be. Mark Lawrence, you played Jukeman. You had early dialogue. Was it scary? First thing was on the airfield, and there's maybe like four, 500 extras, and I stand up and say something, and I'm like, oh, do not fuck this up. I mean, you're just thinking, you got camera cranes going everywhere, you got 400 extras, you got this, that, the other, and I mean, this is a Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks production, and you're like, oh my God. Please don't stumble. But it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's stuck with me like the rest of the boys. I'm sure. It's, it's it just it'll never leave us. How many takes? 
Oh, only one. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, hit that. Ben Kaplan, uh, you played Smokey Gordon. What do you remember of the early filming? I think, I think if my memory serves me rightly, and, and forgive me if, if, if I'm a bit vague, I think we did a lot of night shoots to start off with, I'm pretty sure. I remember lots and lots of cold night shoots, doing all of that stuff, running up and down Carantan and the, the stuff with the water bottle and Michael Fassbender um, with, with David Trimble, all of that stuff in the, the, you know, the, the, the night marches and stuff. I think we did a lot of that early doors. So there was a lot of big company uh, scenes being shot early on and that that was um pretty intense because we were working all hours you know in the middle of the night but again brilliant experience to be able to kind of get that many guys together so that we can continue you know enjoying each other's company because i think you know that camaraderie was really really important mm. so by the time we came back from 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 boot camp and then we had a lot of those big sequences to shoot and we were able to con continue where we left off and staying with ben you want to mention the attention to detail on set don't you yeah, I mean, incredible. The sets were absolutely incredible. And that's one of the other things that, that um, I've been reminded of recently because a lot of people have been posting um, quite a lot of photos of the set and stuff. And um, I mean, I, you know, I, you still look at those sets now and you think, you know, we're 20 years down the line and those sets were incredible, you know, then. And they stand up now, you know, they, they, the, the, the level of detail. I remember just looking at the guys that were sort of painting tiny bits of um, colour in the wall and, and, and the buildings and stuff. And, and then when we went to Carantan for real, Paul will, will, will vouch for this. We went to Carantan for real and you kind of then go, oh my God, I remember this set and they have, they have matched this detail incredibly well because um, obviously I'd never been to the, to, 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 the, to the real location. So going to Carantan was very, very special. Um, when we went to Bastogne, it was very, very special to be able to see the woods and then actually to see what they recreated inside a sound, inside a sound studio. I mean, that was incredible to ship, you know, however many 300, 400 trees over from Belgium and create the kind of the, the woods. I mean, it was just just um, uh, br brilliant production design. Uh, really, really, really stunning. And, and as I say, to this day, I've worked on many sets, but I've never worked on anything quite as amazing as Band of Brothers. And the, the amount of sets as well, the amount of different locations they had to produce was was quite incredible. And I don't live very far away from there now, so I you know I sometimes go up to Hatfield, and obviously the, the studio is not there because they. They got rid of it, and now it's um it's a gym. In fact, I used to be belong. I used to belong to uh, to a gym that is in one of the hangars where we shot Band of Brothers. <laughs> so it's quite incredible to go back in that hangar now and to see that it's a David Lloyd gym and not a you know not a not a World War Two hangar where we shot Band of Brothers. But um yeah, incredible, really, really incredible. Rick Warden, who played Harry Welsh, what about you? I can remember being on the set in that, and, and listen, the town set, the Carantan set, was massive. <laughs> It was, a, it was a fucking town, really. Incredible. And I can yes. remember Spielberg saying that one of the walls wasn't dirty enough. This is when I was <laughs> gathering the, 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 the platoon together in that town square. He literally was like, we're going to have to dirty up that wall. And I, 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 what, in a massive bombed out town? <laughs> That's the kind of, and, and isn't it true, Michael, you might know this, or, or one of the other guys who were in, I wasn't in it too. But my recollection is that some things needed to be reshot in it too, because of the um, the kick, the pullback on the, the M1 wasn't quite the right. Kick on the, yeah, the, right. Kick was, the kick was wasn't up; it was back. Yeah, and he basically yeah. said, "It's got to be up, guys." Michael Kudlitz, of course, he was ball randleman. What do you remember about Carantan and learning as you go, and not just the cast but the crew as well? That was our first sort of large-scale group battles. So I think that they were, yeah. like, with the with the, the pilot through the first episode when we had to go back and, you know, they learn stuff. You know, you learn if we killed people in episode six and seven and we didn't get to know them well enough early on, then it's it doesn't have the impact that it should. So I think that for everyone, including the filmmakers, um, there was it was a process. And they realized, as Rick was saying, hey, you know, that that doesn't look right. That's not what it did. This is what it did. And then they were like, all right, we're going back in. We're going to make that wall dirtier yeah. and we're going to make the kick accurate. And that, that was the sort of the, the commitment from everyone doing it. And we were all like, oh, okay, if it's not right, let's go back and do it again. Ben, how real did it all feel? Yeah, and, and, and again, I think one of the great uh, experiences of, of, obviously, we've talked about boot camp, but then when we actually got on the sets and the authenticity of the sets themselves, they were so real. 
Um, and, you know, once those battle sequences started, it did feel very real. So it, it felt for an actor, it, for an actor, it was, it was, it, it made our job much easier because I actually, you just kind of thought, you know, what, what if was, this was me in this situation? Yeah. And, and once all of that, you know, that, um, once all of that stuff kicks off, once the explosions and the, the squibs and everything else start firing up, you kind of just go into kind of survival mode. Um, and a lot of that training does kick in, but then a lot of that training goes out the window. And, and as, as I'm sure that the, 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 it did with the real guys, you know, you can't prepare for combat because, you know, once you get in it, you kind of go, wow, this is very different to what we've been doing in training. And you just have to kind of have that survival mechanism kick in and think, you know, all I need to do is worry about, you know, myself and my friends around me and just make sure that we try and get through this, make sure that we don't, we don't, we don't lose our lives. So that survival instinct kicks in. The crew must have worked as hard as you guys, Mark. Yeah, I mean, uh, crew are the unsung heroes of it. I mean, luckily, luckily a lot of them are known. There's, there's a guy called, I'm sure Paul knows, Joe Hobbs, mm. who, who was an amazing guy. And uh, he was he was basically dedicated his life to this production. You know, that's how it seemed. And um, everybody was like that on set. Paul, our Bobfest coordinator, you've got a question for Rick. Well, I was going to say, I remember talking to you, Rick, in Bastogne in 2016, and we were walking in. We just parked up, hadn't we? And we walked in. And you must have said 20 times in a row, this is like being on the set. It's just like being on the set. It's just like being <laughs> on the set. You told us about the bell. They, if, you recall, if I recall correctly, they brought in even trees from Belgium or something, didn't they? And they spaced yeah. out exactly at the same distance. You know, you Joe Hobbs, God rest his soul, um, uh, our costume designer. Oh, I, I'm pretty oh, sure, that, or, or certainly high up in costume, whether he was designer or not, right down to the patches, the number yeah. of stitches in the patches, the leather that the, 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 the boots were made out of. You know, the de and, and I, I'm pretty sure they there were trees from there were other trees from Belgium or they, there's something about that in the story. Yeah, they were the, the trees were imported. Uh, yeah, Joe Hobbs when the the first batch of shirts arrived, he took them out of the packet and he looked at them and he went, "Oh dear, the thread the thread count's yeah. wrong." And production were like, "Well, what do you want to do?" He said, "Well, we can use them if you want." And they said, "But will will it be authentic?" And he said, "Well, no, they won't be." Matt Settle, you played Lieutenant Spears. How do you remember the authenticity efforts, um, especially the stuntmen? I remember Bailey, Ian Bailey saying, uh, played Webster, saying he remembers pulling the trigger in a shot and, and a stuntman falling exactly when he pulled the trigger. He's, he's aiming at someone and he pulls a trigger in a big battle scene and then that person falls exactly when he pulls the trigger. Yes, Rene Moreno, who played Joseph Ramirez. And that attested the, the, the best stuntman working at that time, too, with us. It was amazing. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Rick Gordon. I mean, I had moments during during some of Vep three when we did the big tank battle in the field. Yeah. Just the, the sort of size of the task in hand that we were doing, the amount of mechanized real. sort of violence <laughs> there. I mean, the reset on the tanks when it came yeah. through the the, the, the the hedge, it was like well, a two you, and a half hour reset, man. Because you had to yeah, back you were the with tank us that day where the guy the went under the tread. Right? Under, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was the weirdest. I was that like, was for what me, the surreal. hell? Yeah. yeah. There it was, was the most yeah. extraordinary stunt. Yeah, board, he like would fall a... on and then it would push him down. And he was literally oh, rolled over oh by God. the tank. He's got to be trusting for that, right? Yeah. Wow. He did two takes of it, I think. And they were, he, he made a lot. It was one of the most expensive stunts on the show. I, I, yes. I, 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 what was it? And it was, was like a, a, it was like a sort of, no, it was like a coffin shape. And he would crawl. It was more scary even than we're describing. He would crawl on solid right. ground to, to a place, place that he knew you... wasn't and then be crushed into the hole by the tank. Oh my God. And his helmet and was right. just outside the tank, just yep. outside the hole, so it crushed The, the weight of the tank would push him down. Yeah. yeah. Episode four, The Replacements, you get all these new guys coming in. Um, how did you treat them? Because weren't you told to treat them like pariahs, like don't be nice to them? Rich. You know, to be honest, I, I know we were told that, but we also just kind of did it because we were dickheads at the time. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we had bonded in our own way, and when somebody would come on and they'd have shiny boots and their uniform, it just made us mad. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It, it, you know, the psychology worked, kind of. Ben, how real did it all feel? We all went through that 
you know, that experience of what the hell is this? And I think when you turn up late, you know, the fact is, you know, that the replacements got given quite a lot of stick about the fact that they hadn't been to boot camp. And it was exactly the same as what happens in, in episode four, what happens in, in the, the scenes when they turn up. So they were given the same amount of, 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 of grief um, as actors. And any actor that turned up sort of, you know, later into filming were kind of ignored or given quite a hard time at the beginning. And I think some of act some actors, you know, some fam famous actors uh, famously have spoken about this in interviews. And they said, you know, that they turned up on set and it was, it was quite a hostile atmosphere, but there was a reason for that. And, um, and, and, you know, some people didn't like it and, and thought it was, you know, a, a bit of nonsense, but actually, you know, we had been, that's how we'd been trained. And, you know, I think it was just natural that was going to happen. Robin Lang, you played Babe Heffron. Um, there's a South Philly connection there, isn't there, um, with Garnier. So when you came in, if everybody's in character, did you get a slightly easier ride in terms of being a replacement? Um, I was given a slight pass to an extent. Um, or certainly I think I was maybe welcomed into the fold um, quite readily because, because of who Babe and Bill were. Um, I remember coming from a costume fitting and being shown into the big marquee that everyone got changed in and kind of, you know, relaxed in and people being um, uh, quite kind of like, oh, babe's here, babe's here, where's where's Bill, where's Bill? And somebody went and got Frank and kind of, you know, um, brought him over so we could, you know, to introduce us. And, and we chatted and stuff. And so, yeah, there was, I, I, I guess I was kind of given a bit of a pass. But by the same token, I remember being um going through the same things you know where early on you'd you'd put your rifle down and go away to do something and you turn back around and your rifle's gone and then you're like oh man you know and you're just waiting for one of the cadre to walk past and go uh where's your rifle and you're like i don't know <laughs> and they're like drop and give me 10 you know so i had to go through that as well Right, so there's a great incident um, that illustrates what we're talking about with Robin, Push-Up Gate, which Rich has talked about. Um, let's incorporate your take on it. I don't remember the group of guys, but I'm gonna, I can leap forward and assume it was Gomez, Matteo, Grimes, like the usual suspects, and a new <laughs> guy came in. And you know how, like, sometimes it wouldn't be necessary that we would be, quote-unquote, mean to somebody, but there was also sort of a rite of passage of, you're the new guy. Oh, nice to meet you, man. You're going to need to give me 20 push-ups. Yeah. Like, you, you would just, it would just be in passing. And, and I know that, that um, uh, Farnsworth, Freddie Joe would, you know, warn the dudes, hey, you're going to set, you know, this is, the, this is how this is going to play out. You're probably going to get that request, whatever. Um, I remember sort of pushing against that at one point. The group said, you're going to need to give us 20. And he's like, nah, screw you guys. And like, no, 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 you're going to need to give us 20. And he's like, no, screw you guys. And now it's, now it's going like this. You know, now it's a couple mm -hmm. guys standing up on the chair like, I don't think you understand what we're saying. We're not asking you. You're not hearing a question mark at the end of the sentence. You're going to need to give us 20 push-ups. Because I'd say, I'm not doing fucking push-ups, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and not to one of the cadre. It was, somebody, it was another cast member that said, oh, you don't know where your rifle oh. is. You know, give me 20. And I can't remember who it was, but I was like, nah. You know, if one of the cadre give me push-ups, fine. But I'm not taking it off another member of cast, you know. And it was starting to get heated. The guy's like, you know, fuck you guys. And I pulled that dude aside and sort of took off the mask for 20 seconds yeah. and said, hey, man, here's how this is going to play out. I know we're making a movie and I know we're all actors, but we've all been in, this, in the trenches since the word go. And you're arriving here. And this is sort of your rite of passage. This is your secret handshake. You have two choices. Do the 20 push-ups or don't do the 20 push-ups and make this a miserable experience for yourself for the remainder of the shoot. Yeah. Is it worth that? No, it's not worth that. So yeah. I think this guy who did his 20 push-ups, everybody left him alone. It's like he did his 20 push-up and everybody was like, that's all we asked, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was kind of like, all right, yeah, fuck it. So I did it. I remember doing the, it was 20 I had to do. And as I was approaching 20, I think Frank, I remember vividly Frank was there and he was like, go on, babe, go on. Now give me 30, go for 30. And so I kept going. And, and I remember and people pushing me to 40 and then I got to, and I managed to do 50. And, uh, and when I got to 50 and then, you know, I got up and everybody was really like, yeah, you know, and Frank gave me a big hug and every, people were kind of patting me on the back. And I was, I, re I suddenly realized how, how right um, 
uh, Richard Spate, I think. I'm sure it was Richard. How right he was to kind of, um, you know, push me to do that. You know, he, he, you know, how important it was that I bought into it, um, that that thing. So, I, yeah, so I kind of got a free pass, but I, uh, to an extent, but um, hmm. yeah. I had that little thing. Because I don't think any of those people who did catch shit as a replacement, you know, sure there would have been an initial, you know, reluctance or or tough time they would have had to come through because that was kind of what was instructed to do. And I suppose, Mm. you know, we'd all had a tough time and it felt right passing it on a little bit. It's not like it went on forever and ever and we were complete shits to everybody else. There was a lot of new guys that came in and they were there for like, you know, for the duration of the show. And that hazing stopped, you know, week two or whatever. Yeah. A lot of these guys came in for one episode. And I think the guys that came in for one episode had a tough time because they didn't understand what the makeup of the movie was. Mm. And so they would come in, they would kind of get their balls busted a little bit right. and then walk away going, fuck that, that was miserable. Whereas the people that stuck around because their character was... It doesn't matter. The thing was, it was a mindset. You know, the, yeah. this is all part of, you know, that was all yeah. part and parcel of what we were all drawn into. That's the thing. We did get thrown into the madness of that boot camp. And it's like, it was 24 hours a day for 10 days. It wasn't like you ever went, okay, guys, you know, clock off. It was no clocking off. It was 240 hours continuous. Scott, yes. As long as they're like, I'll never forget. We have to give like Colin Hanks a credit because he came on, we gave him shit and he dealt with it really well. He played the game on his side really well. So definitely because i think to a man the people that we've spoken to that were replacements did hang around for a while and not one of them they've all like laughed and joked about the hazing yeah, and how shit it was but not one of them Martin, Hershey, all those guys Hershey, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were there throughout it babe have fun ross mccall who played joseph liebgott you know there were, there were actors and we got the actor kicked out of us in boot camp like the actor mm. was knocked out of us early on other guys were coming in and they just finished Rada or they just finished a, a theatrical run and they're coming in and a bunch of Americans are kind of giving them bullshit and they're going, what is this? They're in one episode, they go away and they go, oh, it was like a crazy bunch of lunatics and they didn't really understand the fabric of the show because they weren't there for long. You know? Yeah. Right. Some of the cast who are little more than extras in Band of Brothers have gone on to be um, really famous. How much crap did they get? Uh, Mark, let's go to you. But yeah, but the, I mean, the replacements when it when it came to episode four, they've never really been doing it for a few months. I mean, they 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 got most of the most of the grief. I mean, I, I made I made a guy called Dominic Cooper, and I can't remember his character, um, but I made him do push-ups, and I think he wrote <laughs> about it in the paper like fifteen years later, saying how traumatized he was by it all. <laughs> this oh is a God. star of Preacher now, right? There you go. I, yeah. I carry that around. <laughs> But um, he got his payback. He's he's a very rich young man now. Yes, Tim Matthews, who played Alex Pancala. I have yeah. this story that I remember. I hope somebody can back this up. Um, I think maybe Rich or Scott was there. We were having lunch one day, and James McAvoy, who at the time obviously was just you know, <laughs> came and uh, had lunch. He was he was talking to us, and I think it was Rick Gomez. Yes, sir, it was. Were, I know the story. There were some mum jokes go- going on, and they was funny for us, and then. <laughs> James McAvoy made the mistake of making a mum joke to uh, to Rick Gomez. Oh, he yeah. fucking launched. He launched across the table at him oh. and grabbed him and started threatening him, like very seriously. He was really affronted by the fact that because he'd overstepped the line. Like, no, 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 no. We we can do the mum jokes. Yeah. You're a fucking new guy. You don't get to do it. I was a little bit worried. I, I honestly thought we were going to get a black eye out of it. Somebody was going to get a black eye. No, I, I also remember Tom good. Hardy getting a, a fucking tough time when he came in as well. Yeah, Tom yeah. Hardy. Me and Rick gave him a tough time on the back of that fucking dude. Basically, we just picked on anyone that we knew were going to be movie stars. That's what it was. We just yeah. picked yeah. on that were going to blow up. Give us the Tom Hardy stories. George Khalil, you played Mo Ali. The concentration camp. Tom Hardy, it was the first scene he ever did, as he told me. And he's now a big movie star, God bless him. And uh, and uh, Tom threw up in his helmet, for real. <laughs> At the concentration camp, Alina. No. Are you talking about Tom Hardy? How did you know, man? <laughs> you know, I remember, like, I remember Tom Hardy had this, uh, he had a, like, little mole on his arm, and it had a hair sticking out of it. And I just mindlessly plucked it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he was furious. He's like, that was my lucky hair. <laughs> well, it wasn't that lucky, was it? <laughs> so, no, it was, a, it was a great scene he shot after that. And I guess it was his lucky hair. He had a great career. <laughs> Matt Settle, ladies and gentlemen, destroyer of Tom Hardy. Um, he's found Bane's Achilles heel. Michael, seriously, though, in a way, this is what made the acting dynamic work, right? I would also say to, to everybody out there, you know, who sees it, um, one of the things that's never really addressed is, and, and we all know this as actors and as male actors and as young male actors, to be that selfless, <laughs> with other male actors, like, holy sh... Like, they hit the fucking lottery. I mean, that, that was... That in itself is... Like, you just don't get that. Like, it's a, you get a young actor, male actor, who's trying to make his mark. I mean, it's kind of like... It, there, there's an element in there that was... Could have taken hold and could have wrecked everything. And to the credit of the men I'm looking at on the screen right now, it did not. Tim? And yeah. there were one or two notable exceptions that I won't mention out loud. And they were, and they, but they weren't. They were very short-lived. They were a little kind of yeah. the flash in the pan. So conspicuous for that reason, yeah. and so vulgar for that reason. They they took care they of themselves. Never done any of this stuff. Exactly. That's interesting. It burnt, it burnt itself out. Mark. Dale Dye, God bless him, created a space where everybody, everybody sort of believed in it. You know, Every, there, was, there was, nobody was precious. And it was, it was a, I mean, I don't want to say it, it was a band of brothers on set. Yes, Rich, right. The thing that I think that only we can appreciate, and I think, is how bizarre and unique that experience was. How, how emotional it was. And, you know, I'm going to go back to something Dexter said. I love telling the story. It doesn't involve me at all. It involves this specific one. It's Dexter and Donnie. And I remember those guys, I always use this as an example of how Band of Brothers functioned and why it stands the test of time. Because actors took themselves out of scenes. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen anywhere. Nobody takes himself off screen. Right. right. So mm -hmm. just regardless of a, if I fought too much or Tim, you feel like you fought too little or Matthew feels like you fought too little or I was, you know, Cutlass was too mouthy and other people were not mouthy yeah. enough, whatever. At the end of the day, everybody's aim was the same. Right. And everybody's aim was an egoless pursuit. Right. <laughs> because right. I, I remember, uh, Dex, you guys taking yourself out. I remember because you took yourself out of a, out of a thing. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly they gave me your line because I was like, well, <laughs> Muck was here. And they're like, great. Now you're saying blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, because you, you showed up, walked over, and you literally walked over and, and you're like, I'm not in this. And he turned and walked away. It wasn't like a big, big, a dramatic <laughs> conversation. And I was like, well, there goes, all right. That does not one. sound like me. But I think, just comes, I think it comes back to what you were saying about earlier. You know, it's like we, you know, for those of us whose veterans were still around who we could talk to, and it was, it was, it was you know, shared knowledge. I don't think, you know, if your veteran wasn't alive, that, that we sort of, we kind of held on to it. But you, you had an authenticity and, and an understanding and a knowledge that gave an authenticity to what we were doing and who we were. And, because what happened to me, I just going back to what you said about, about, you know, picking off the scab of something for someone that to us was kind of like a role that we were playing. And the first time I spoke to Johnny, he spoke to me about the first day that he landed in France, hiding in a barn, waiting for some Nazis to come collect some milk from a farm and the first person that he killed during the war when he was 22 years wow. old. And, 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 and it opened up. It's like you were saying, they, he cried. You know, there was tears. And, and he hung up, and I had to call him back later. And I suddenly realized, oh, my God, this, it's a real thing. For me, I was like, hey, I'm playing soldiers. I'm marching around with a bunch of guys. And, oh, I've got a machine gun. And isn't it great? To, to the reality of, oh, there are real people. Involved. And it, it just... It's that's what's unique about the experiences because there's so rarely that you get such a human connection to what it is that you do. We can intellectualize it and we analyze and we deconstruct and we kind of oh I can do this and how do I want to? But this, these people were real and we suddenly had a massive responsibility to those people. And I think that comes back to what Rich is saying about 
you know, his experience and even Matthew saying about his, because that doesn't go away. That sense of responsibility, that sense of connection to a real person who went through something enormous that we, we feel like we've got an understanding of because the, 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 the programs are so fantastic. They connect you as much as they can to the wartime experience through the humanity of these guys and that relationship and, that, and how connected and what a band of brothers they really were. That's what makes the war real for us. It's interesting because I remember on the, patrol, the episode The Patrol that David Leland was directing that he started making decisions about people being on the patrol that weren't. He just started cherry picking characters and, 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 and for those of us whose veterans or, or characters were actually on the patrol, it was kind of like, wow, I've got to start fighting for my, for my place. Fortunately, Randleman, Cudlitz, <laughs> was like, I'm having none of that. I mean, the English guys were a little bit more kind of like, oh, this is awkward. Uh, that's a little bit of a sticky situation. Randall was like, fuck that. And I remember him going to front Leland and absolutely telling him in no uncertain terms, these are the men that were on that patrol and they are the men that should be in that episode. Yeah. And you can't just cherry pick the characters that you like because you want us to have an episode full of those guys. It was these guys and they're the ones and it did and it all reverted yeah, back Dexter, to work. I was originally on that, Malarkey was originally on that patrol. And yeah. I was so fucking happy when I found out he wasn't. Because that was like two weeks of night shoots in the water, right? <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rick Warden, you all sacrificed glory to some extent. Um, did you regret it when you saw it on screen afterwards? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. No, I, you know, I had egoistic ones for a year or two after we made it and... and, and because of how what this is, Tim referred to earlier on, the fact that we're all here now talking about it 20 years after we made it, those regrets disappeared a long, long yeah. time ago. I don't have a single regret. I don't regret a frame of it anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I, for two years, I beat myself up with decisions I could have made. And, hey, this thing would be really good if only I wasn't in it. I was wrecking <laughs> this whole flipping battle scene. You know, those things are ludicrous and, they're, and they're, they're, we've all had those, I'm sure. Because the thing about it, at the time, it felt like it was about us, but it's not about us. It's I don't have about that. Us. We, we have it as a shared experience as a group of actors that we went through saying it was great. But it, and it's, it, it's bigger than us. It is. It's about those guys. And we represented those guys. We represent those guys in a big way, in a small way, in a fleeting way, in a, you know. Yeah. And that's, that's what's so amazing about it. You know, we that's the, the, the great thing for us. We've got I to agree. represent them. It's like I, I represent Malarkey, Ross Liebgott, uh, Spate, whoever you played. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Woody, our Bobfest coordinator. Historians have been basically lining up to say good things about the show. Veterans have been lining up. I mean, of all wars, all nations say, oh, my God, it's brilliant. And you guys are happy to come and talk about it. it that doesn't really happen very often. You get the shows that the public like, but the veterans say, no, it's all just Hollywood, or the historians think it's ridiculous. Something, there was really something special that it, it appealed across the board. And, mm. uh, and that was all due to the Bale and, and writers and Tom Hanks and, and what you guys all brought to it. So it's, it's amazing. It really is. Sure, Ben. 
yeah, there was a, there was definitely a, um, a, a seriousness. I mean, you know, we had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. You know, we, 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 we enjoyed each other's company and there was a, there was a lot of laughter, but when we got on set, there was a real sense that we wanted to get, get that right. We wanted to tell these stories. We wanted to get the authenticity bang on. And, um, you know, we, as I say, we had a responsibility. We, we met, you know, those, those vets, a lot of the guys that were still alive when we were making the show, they came to set and to see their emotional reaction to us walking around in the uniforms, to the German, uh, to, to the actors that were portraying the Germans walking around in the uniforms, to seeing those sets and to see them emotionally affected by the, the, the authenticity was quite staggering. Renee, it was a hard slog on set, wasn't it? You know, yeah. it's funny for me um and it goes along saying with uh, what mike was saying earlier and point i think we we're so young i mean i was 30 but this was like my big break you know and here i am walking on or marching on this tarmac we're about 100 yards away from the nearest camera and then we're we're marching in our our wool and <clears throat> our wool uh, uniforms and i'm thinking to myself what the hell am i doing here I thought I was hired as an actor. I'm a freaking extra, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? And I'm just like, just miserable, cold in the rain. I'm marching. I don't really know what I'm doing because everybody else has been marching beforehand. I, I, I'm there new, kind of, I'm just pitching and moaning. And, and Bull just, he goes to me, Renee, what the fuck are you talking? What are you complaining about? You're getting paid to be in this miniseries as an actor you could be back home flipping burgers doing whatever the fuck you're doing and it, at that moment my whole perspective of what <laughs> what i was there for completely changed and uh i give a lot to mike just because he just he just put me back he just put me in my place and i was like thank you <laughs> yes i i I, I could be on a roof, roofing a, a house. I could be in a freaking attic, which I was, um, doing this whole, like, flooring in this attic in 110-degree heat, you know. Mm. When I got the call that I got the job. So I was like, yes, I'm blessed. <laughs> Even though it's cold and miserable, you know. So that definitely, uh, mm. yeah. I was, you were that cold was and miserable and employed. At that point. And yeah. and <laughs> at that point, I was extremely grateful for what I what I got. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite moments. Ben, did you have work to do in the evenings too? And I also remember the early days. We were given a lot a lot of research material. I mean, I remember being given a, a whole pack of research about Walter Gordon when I was at boot camp. And I, when I had the opportunity, which wasn't very often, I used to sit on my bed and just kind of read through it. We had all the transcripts from Stephen Ambrose interviews. And that was really special to be able to kind of go through that with a fine tooth comb. And it was, you know, I mean, to have that much research for an actor is just like, you know, it's like gold dust. You sort of, you can just, you know, almost inhale all of that detail. And then when we started doing, you know, some of the scenes, we could th then say, well, actually in the, in the research material, this is what Gordon actually said. This is what I should be wearing in this particular scene. This is what, you know, as far as he was concerned, this is what happens. So we were able to dictate to a certain extent, some of that detail over to the directors who came in for one or two episodes. Um, and I remember having a conversation with Phil Alden Robinson, who directed episode one, because obviously he had sort of arrived quite late. Because I think Steven Spielberg was due to direct the first episode and then he, he had to pull out. So Phil was a bit of a late, a late, um, a, a, a late entry. And I remember going in one by one and having a conversation with Phil. And he sort of said, you know, talk to us, what, you know, give us any information that you've picked up over the last few weeks. And I just remember sort of being able to kind of, you know, read off a whole load of detail about some of the research that I was um reading and uh, you know that was really useful for some of you it was over midway through how did it feel to leave everyone behind uh, Peter O'Meara who played Lieutenant Dyke the worst thing was going home I didn't want to go home I just wanted to be there all the time and when I could I would ask to come in on days off just so I could watch and learn uh, because there's a lot to learn Mark of course poor Dukeman dies yeah, it was it was it was really sad. I mean, I had to go back maybe three weeks later to do some pickup shots, and obviously the production had moved on by then. And it was it was weird walking into a back onto the set, uh, just seeing everybody, and then also seeing people that had been killed in between my time of leaving and going back to do the pickup shots. And I was like, so where is so and so? And they're like, oh, he's dead. And it was it was kind of it was freaky. I mean, it was it was it was a very 
I don't know, emotional production to be on because everybody took it very seriously. And um, yeah, when, when people died, they were missed. Ben, you're another one whose character was written out in line with real events. Yeah, um, yeah it was difficult, I think. I mean, I, I, one of the last scenes that I shot was pretty much the last scenes in, in Bastogne anyway for, 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 for Gordon when he got um, injured in the foxhole. Um, so that was a very emotional, they, they were very emotional scenes to play anyway. Mm. Um, so it was almost like, you know, the emotional stuff I had to do kind of on set in the scenes, being dragged out of the foxhole and then being rushed off to the aid station, um, you know, was very emotional to play. Um, but it was also emotional because we knew, well, the, the guys that knew that they were finishing on set were sort of saying goodbye to this sort of epic um, sort of situation that we've been in for however many months and I mean they shot out of sequence so I was there for I can't remember it in all probably about four of the six months and it was very emotional to leave um, but uh, again just to have been part of it was just special in itself I mean it must have been difficult for Bart because he'd only just arrived and yeah so three is very early on but to have done sort of six out of the ten was special to just have been part part of it and and to form those kind of bonds and as I say, I, I think when 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 I left, I can't remember what I went back to do. I think I went back and I was busy doing some stuff anyway. So that took me out of that headspace for a while. And then we had we had the um, we had the rap party. Um, so we all called back and we got back together, and and it was all, as, all, as if we'd never kind of left. So it was emotional to leave, but um, you know, it was one of those one of those things that you know you were just really grateful to have been there in the first place. Bart Raspoli, um, you played Ed Tipper and you were the first um, to go in episode three, really, of, of the main guys. How did that feel? Awful. That's the truth. It was, it was really awful. It wasn't, um, it, you know, I, Ed was the first, I think he was the first Tacoma man to sort of, you know, leave the war. Mm. Um, but it was, no, it, it was absolutely awful because again, we've done, done all the boot camp and you've, you know, you've been a part of this thing and you've, we created this bond between all of us. That's why we're here today, you know, um, in literally in 10 days and or 11 or 12 or 13, however one remembers it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, I remember this apprehension, this dread of like, oh shit, this is, you know, I'm out of here after that. And it, it, the thing is, it's like this in every, every show that everyone's ever done. It's, you know, when you're done, you're like, sit back, you're done. End off. But it was, it was different for this because you're like, I, I you know, you, because of that bond, you didn't want it. I didn't want it. It was, it was awful. It was, it was fucking traumatic. I remember sitting at home thinking, you know, Oh God. And then there was, um, the last scene I shot was just in the aid station after Ed's hit and just lying there. And, you know, you're thinking, Oh, maybe, <laughs> and it's not even like, oh, maybe, maybe they'll write in another scene for me. No, <laughs> Ed, was, you know, Ed, was, Ed was out of there. You know, he got blown up. He was gone. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it was, it was absolutely terrible. And I'm sure all the diehard fans know that at the time Shane Taylor was sleeping on my sofa uh, while we were shooting the series. And so he'd go out and come back. Oh, it's great. We did this. And I'd be sitting at home there, just, you know, a bit like lockdown, you know, in a pair of, you know, a pair of boxer shorts eating cereal all day long, watching daytime TV, you know, thinking, you know, I should be there. And yeah, it was, it was awful. It really was. It was probably traumatic. Yeah, three three is harsh, isn't it? It's just yeah, long yeah. enough to get you into the groove and friends with everybody, and then like kicking you out the door. But we shot we shot one, and then we shot three, and then we shot okay. two as well. So it was like she like for me it was bang, it was in the groove, and then straight away out. Oh wow! And it was um, uh, yeah, and I did I think I did one day on the on two the jump at the beginning, and that, and that was it. It was, but we shot that. It was overlapping. So I remember the last, the last thing I definitely shot, the last thing I shot was definitely the last scene, uh, my last day on set was the, 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 the aid station thing. Although I did get called back to train some of the replacement uh, essays that came in. So they sort of got me in. I can't remember who I did it with someone else. I can't remember who was it. I want to say Matt Leach. I can't remember. And we sort of just got called in and said, you guys fancy training some of the guys some of the new essays really so i sort of implemented yeah so we implemented some of the stuff we'd learned at boot camp and wow. we trained about, about 20 essays one day yes ross you want to add something the one thing that i remember about bart was it, because he was the first to man to leave the show 
that was the first time for, for me and I'm sure some of the other boys where one of our guys was going. And it was like, it was too early for us even, you know, and it was like, what do you mean he's got, I mean, we, we knew what was going to happen to Tipper, you know, we'd all read the book, we read the scripts, but I mean, I I remember the day, you know, we we, we did the, the, the big blow up scene and the fact that we were losing one of our Tacoa men was like a real, a real slog for all of us, you know, because mm. it sucked. We're like, this is going to happen throughout the show. Throughout the show, we're going to lose our buddies, yeah. you know, um, nowhere near as dramatic as, as the real events but yeah uh, but still some kind of semblance yeah. of loss isn't it you so, keep coming out with us but like of a weekend and yeah, yeah 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 because again and, shane was shane was living yeah. living on my sofa so you know at the weekends i'd always but they could not invite you then could they <laughs> that'd, just that'd, be, be, that'd be fucking shitty yeah. <laughs> yeah it was almost the thing is it was almost worse it was like you know and they'd be, oh, and they'd be talking about shit that happened on set and i'd be like felt left out well, we were talking to Jamie Bamber last night about getting killed off in Hornblower and he said that um, it just isn't the done thing to go and hang around like a loser on set after you've been killed off either. Oh, really? Oh, I would have done it from okay. here. Oh, that's, <laughs> well, that's why they're sticking me in here. He wasn't on boot camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't go back to the set. I, don't, yeah. I, I never went back to the set. No, that, that would have been... You that would, just, been you like would just meet us... Yeah, you would just meet us at the weekend. That was it. Yeah, I'd, I'd come out on Friday and Saturday night and stuff. Speaking of social life, you lot tore up London at the weekends, didn't you? Dexter Fletcher. They lived in the UK for over a year, these guys. They all moved up lock, stock and barrel to the, you know, they all had their apartments dotted around all over town. They, mm. oh, they brought their families and everybody came, didn't they? I mean, it was, there was, it was a big undertaking for the, for the, for the Yanks. They, they, yeah, they sort of, cl you know, closed up home and moved over. They all had flats, different apartments around the city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Frank John Hughes in Gloucester Road or something. I don't, I don't know where you guys were. I don't remember. Yes, Jimmy. Was... Scott, you didn't, you didn't have a kid at that time yet, right? Scott? My daughter, my daughter turned spate. You were at my daughter's first birthday. Was okay. the day after we got out of boot camp. Wow. Okay. Because I, I know Cutledge and and obviously Hughes had kids. Uh, yeah. And they had them out. They had them out there. I mean, I you know. We'd yeah. be out running amok and drinking all night. And those guys were like, no, nah, I got to head back at the kids. And we were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Rich, go ahead. There were definitely two factions having very different experiences because <laughs> the majority of the single guys lived on, on Martian Street, you know, in, the, in that. Right. Um, I don't remember the name of the building. But what was the building, Jimmy? What, what, what... I don't know. It was a great spot, though. I loved it. What about downtime on set? Football out in the field. Like, there was a field of really long grass and there was like a football field. Scott, yeah. And there was a video. It was a VCR too, right? Do you remember that story of Donnie Wahlberg? What? No. Oh yeah. I, I, what was he? One of the one of the special ability extras brought in a tape of the New Kids on the Block in concert and put it on on that VCR. <laughs> I don't Donnie, that. Donnie ejected it, smashed it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I just remember the the, the Brits all playing football. And then there was some, there was some little basketball action going on as well. And there was watching, watching Rick Warden try to dribble was a great source. <laughs> of He's an excellent basketball player, and he oh acquitted himself beautifully. It he was he was sailed through the air like Jordan. He was amazing. <laughs> Jimmy, go for it. It was almost as fun as watching all the bridge have to learn to play baseball for episode nine. I mean, oh, to throw out. He, they made Martin the picture, the the pitcher. Oh God, that was just. You guys were so nervous, like so bad. Walking around with like your gloves and your ball, you wanted to practice and practice. Yeah. and, practice. and that's I remember. It so. Even to this day, when I watch it, I'm like, trying, trying, I'm like trying to throw a, 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 a tub of Jello or something. It's like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I, I, I have uh, Rich again. You know, I have three boys, and my youngest is eight, and so he's learning basketball, and that's a that's a recurring chant at the house. Is that no matter. Dribbles with two hands, picks up and runs with it. I say, well, you're still better than Rick Warden. That's what that's like for me. <laughs> Rick, have you got any comeback for this? But you know, the truth is I can remember the Americans playing ball, whether it was they, 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 they either. I mean, when we were in Bastogne like a few years ago, Jimmy, I remember you and, and Rick Gomez fucking shotgunning that flipping American football around yeah. in Foy when we were supposed to be being sensible. The Americans, for some reason, just were handier sport-wise. Maybe it's because the sports that we were mucking around with were American. Um, Who, who had the, the handball? The handball. 
Tim, go ahead. Bouncing mm. off the wall. Hit me in the, yeah. hit me in the bollocks one day. I did. Really hard. That hurt a lot. Yeah, you know, as, <laughs> as I'm getting older, man, I'm hearing a lot of stories about me doing it. I, I was a little prick, wasn't I? <laughs> No, no, no. You, you, <laughs> you did it deliberately. That would have been an impressive shot. I think it was an accident. At least I hope it was a fucking accident. <laughs> <laughs> the way Jimmy sort of said, oops, made you think it was an accident. <laughs> Back to the filming. Um, you actually got quite a lot of leeway. Isn't that right, Peter? It's one of the rare occasions where if lines didn't specifically work, Damien would kind of switch it to make it fit better. You know what I mean? There was like a bit more bit more loose like okay that doesn't quite work uh, why don't we say this you know what i mean where the normally writers don't have the last say on what you say and how it goes but on this because we were so deep in the situation uh, as we actively kept moving then you know if the line didn't work we were allowed to kind of come up with something that sort of kept the energy going so a lot of the, the scenes really work because of the actors who are involved and their relationships that all been worked out and the energy like the connectivity the magnetism between everyone that's actually what's sizzling the scenes and moving it forward nolan hemmings is with us he played sergeant grant i know paul has a question for you were you were you a bit annoyed that Chuck Grant's story wasn't told in the end of episode ten? Because I mean, he had an amazing story. I mean, he 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 was a he, he was paralyzed. He had his own business. He was the five hundred sixth representative at the hundred first Airborne Association. Would you have liked yeah. to have seen his story told at the end? I mean, I would have liked his story to be told a lot more throughout. But you just can't tell everyone's story to that much detail. You spread it. You spread it. You spread everyone out too thin. I think the focus of the producer, the way it was written, was to focus on these key characters and to flesh out as much as they could the other ones that weren't really part of the main narrative of the story. And I was amazed how many people they did cover. I mean, you really got a sense of a lot of the of the Easy Company men from the series. Uh, they did get a lot of time, each of them, but it's just not long enough to, to flesh everyone out efficiently. And I think that Chuck could have got a bit more of the story told, being that he was a very well-loved member of Easy Company and also a staff sergeant and went from the very beginning of D-Day right to the end of the war, pretty much unscathed. So, you know, it, I mean, he got to the end and then, it was, and then he got shot in the head, which is the irony of it, you know, it's sort of terrible for him, but, but, but survived that. I mean, that's a pretty amazing story in itself. Um, so I think that, I think possibly what was missed for him was a little bit more of how much he was a part of the Easy Company, you know, the long, the longer term Easy Company men who went from D-Day to the end. Um, and they did show obviously him being shot in the head. I, I don't know, I don't know if, if the audience really connected with him enough for that to to really hit home as much as it could have possibly in the story. Um, but, but again, I was never, I wouldn't have, I was, didn't feel at all at the end of it when, when it was all, uh, you know, when they were doing those parts in episode 10 that he didn't get a, a say because it's just, you've got too many guys to cover. You can't cover everyone. Michael, tell us about the scene with the Dutch farmer. Yeah, that was, um, nobody spoke English. I don't know if anybody, like you guys, actually, you, nobody else was there. So nobody else knows. <laughs> 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 All you motherfuckers were out doing the photo shoot. <laughs> I feel your pain, Michael. I feel your pain. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the gentleman who, and I wish I, I, wish I remembered his name. Uh, the, the, he played the farm owner. He's, he's some huge Dutch actor. Uh, somebody out there might know, or if they're able to look it up quickly. He's, uh, he, you know, a couple of people walked up and they're like, oh my God, you know who you're working with? And I was like, no. And they'd say, he's, he's an, like an incredible, uh, incredibly respected Dutch actor, uh, uh, done a tremendous amount of theater um, in, uh, in Holland and the Netherlands. And uh, he, he was just amazing. And the idea or the fact that he couldn't speak any English literally made that scene completely come alive because uh, I was trying to communicate with him and he was trying to communicate with me without speaking the language. Um, and it literally, you know, David Nutter, God bless him, just shot it. You know, mm -hmm. we, mm -hmm. that was possibly one of the easiest scenes to shoot because uh, we were just playing the circumstances as they were happening in real time with somebody who did not speak my language and I didn't speak their language. Um, Yes, Peter Youngblood Hills, who played Shifty Powers. You've got his name, haven't you? 
Jack Wooters. Jack Wooters. Yeah, Jack Wooters. Yeah, I looked. I think you're. Yeah, I think you're pronouncing the name. Wooters. Yes. Yeah, man. His his uh, awards and nominations section is quite. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of best actors. Yeah, he was terrific, and he was like a a mountain. I mean, the guy. I I you know, for me, I'm six two, and I remember standing up, and I'm like. You know, looking up at the guy. There's not there's not too many people I physically have to tilt my head up to look up to, and and he was one of them. And he's about as wide as he was tall, mm-hmm. um, and possibly one of the most gentle souls you'd ever want to meet. It was it was really wonderful working with both of them. Michael, you want to talk about battle scenes? Do you remember on the dike in episode five I when the Germans were coming me. over the hill? Yeah, that yeah. to me was one of the most sort of surreal things to shoot because you'd actually be tracking a German that you were going to fire at because they were like, you know, pick a target and fire. And then you'd fire and then the fucking guy would drop. Yeah. 300 yards away. And you're just like, holy shit, I just killed somebody. Like, and I, for me, it was, it was a really, really bizarre feeling to just, you know, keep reloading and finding people and shooting out in the distance and then seeing them, you know, in, in the same frame in the same shot and, and continuously, continuously coming over the hill to see them just dropping mm. in the distance. To me, that was mm. uh, probably the closest I'll ever get to that type of situation. Knock on wood, dear God, I hope so. Um, but mm. it was, it was, it was very real in a weird way. Did anyone else sort of feel that that was there? Mm. Am I crazy? Yes, George, go for it. I mean, yeah, I'm no. crazy. I, I, mean, I got that in Gaston, Michael. Absolutely, man. We're on the on the machine gun when I took over from Smokey, and you saw the they they just dropped. You put you yeah. pull the trigger and they dropped. It was yeah, yeah like, and it's like what? Yes, Matt. Nola, was it you in boot camp when I, I I shot next to you and you screamed at me for like shooting in your ear? And no, that wasn't. Like, was, was, was that I, Tommy? Was that Tommy? I think it was. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't have been me. I never mind. Well, it was, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's the funniest thing because here we are in battle and the guy's like excuse me that was in my ear what do you think it's going to be <laughs> Nolan you're a bit of a thrill seeker you must have loved it you know I had a I had a couple of I had a couple of moments that, that you know I saw where it was like oh that was a bit close but of course you just get on with it because you don't focus on what the, that moment is it's not the moment that's happening so you're just like you know, unless they stop filming right there, you just move, keep going. You're just like, oh, and then you carry on. Isn't, uh, I mean, that's a little, that's a little tiny uh, facsimile of what it must have been like a bit, right? I know it's nothing really like it, but you survive and you carry on with the next moment. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. Presumably, yeah. I can put myself to what maybe people went through in those situations were those chaotic fake battles, which weren't dangerous, but they were unpredictable and they were yeah. um noisy one of the most unpredictable things was what other people were going to do um yeah, i was going to die or get injured seriously or wounded i may yeah, be projecting yeah. here and and saying that this is how you should have felt but i that i definitely felt that the funny thing was you know there's obviously always somebody who they're they're focusing on key characters in any one of the episodes and those key those key characters are ultimately you know, there's a narrative going through that particular episode, which really, you know, some people have more have more of a focus than others. And what I did notice, which I think I noticed also the, the, the absolute converse with other actors, was was that I didn't even know where the camera was and didn't really care. I was like, I'm doing this, I'm going that way, that's our objective, this is what we're up to. And then, you know, and I do remember during filming the difference between those of us who were very much in the moment and just living that, scene and doing it properly pro- properly and those who were showboating and being really close to the camera and i'm not talking about scenes where the camera's focused on them that's different it's when we're all just doing a wide or there's some and there's maybe one and you can tell you can tell that there's some, some of the actors were a little bit more like slowing down to make sure that the camera is on them and, and i guess that's <laughs> the kind of being an actor you know is that you are supposed to be on camera because if you don't get seen it's not really happening and I think for me, and I didn't have a huge amount in the show, and I guess I just sort of, I just, so I was kind of very much just doing everything in that way, you know, and, and never, I didn't really ever really know where the camera was. Um, uh, so yeah, that was kind of an interesting side of it. It was, the experience for me was much more than, than 
that I think is, show, is, is seen in, in the actual show. You know, I was there all the time from the very beginning to the very end. I was there pretty much everywhere. See when you can find me. You know, I did nine months of filming. It's, there's a, few, a handful of moments where Chuck Grant is really... Similar, similar for me. Yeah, but I mean, but for me, the experience was just extraordinary and I loved it. And, I, and looking at it now or even just afterwards and being like, well, I'm hardly in it. That really didn't make any difference to me whatsoever. That concludes our episode today. Join us tomorrow when we will continue to talk about filming with the cast of Band of Brothers. Um, don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as $1 a month by going to www.historyhack.podbean.com. We'd really appreciate it, and it would enable us to keep recording after the coronavirus crisis is over. And obviously, don't forget to follow us at, at hack underscore history on Twitter, uh, and it's the same on Instagram. And we also have a Facebook page as well. There now follows a public service announcement. I'm Horatia Hornblower. And I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.